Lauren. What's up, Bailey? You're pretty good at math. What do you get when you add Bailey plus Lauren? What do you get? Boren. What? No. Boren. What? <laughs> boren, boren, no snoring, no snoring. It's not actually boring. Boren. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Boren Art Show. That's not actually boring. With Bailey and Lauren. I'm Lauren. And I'm Bailey. We're both juniors at New Hampton High School, and we are in art appreciation class with Miss Nelson. Speaking of Miss Nelson, we would like to add a quick little tribute to how amazing of a teacher she is. Miss Nelson takes the time to do so much for our class, and we want her to know how appreciated she is, just like she has taught us how to appreciate art in art appreciation. We have done a lot of different projects in this class, like making clay balls and tiles, books, glass coasters, and learned about all different types of artists and arts, some of which we will be talking about today. Today on the Born Art Show, that's not actually boring, we're going to be talking about stolen art and different art conspiracy theories. Now, this is my first art class, so all these drawings were pretty interesting for me to look at because I haven't looked into art very much. I initially wanted to take art appreciation because it was a dual credit for college and high school, and I hadn't really taken any art classes yet, but now I'm pretty happy that I did. Now that I've researched about this stolen art, I can't believe I've never heard about it because it's pretty interesting. And I personally have taken one art class before art appreciation, and that was art one. And when I was in art one, it allowed me to be exposed to a lot of different materials and techniques that are found in art, and that encouraged me to take another art class. So I chose art appreciation, and art appreciation has allowed me to continue being exposed to the new tools, but has also helped me to learn more about the history of art and get a better understanding of art concepts. We also get a lot of freedom in this class, which has helped me to find something new that interests me, which is part of what we were talking about today, conspiracy theories in the art world. So I'm going to start, and I'm going to be talking more about conspiracy theories in art, specifically um, an exhibit that the Met held in 2018 called Everything is Connected, Art and Conspiracy. So Everything is Connected was made to reveal how artists have tracked, critiqued, or embraced art, bringing it all together in one place. And now their purpose wasn't really to, like, endorse or encourage the conspiracies, but it was more meant to just sketch a vision of, like, America and all the conspiracy theories that we have. And the show mainly featured artists from the Nixon and Obama era, so that meant none of the artists were younger than 40 years old, around 40 years old anyways, and it was mostly American art. And the show is split into, like, two halves, and so the first half focuses on highlighting artists that worked with, like, public records or, like, hidden materials that they brought to light, and it centered more on, like, artists acting as investigators. And then the second half focuses more on devious pieces, and um like conspiracy theories that some of the artists made up themselves and a reporter actually said about the second half that it became difficult to distinguish between conspiracy which is a real form of hidden collaboration and the conspiracy theories that were created and so the curators dedicated everything is connected to mike kelly which is the first artist that i will be talking about and his heart art often intertwined personal anxiety and desires with public misdeeds and so several of his artworks were featured in the show and the first one reflected back on the 80s and 90s when countless American parents accused preschoolers of Satanist child abuse. So, I haven't heard about that at all. No, oh my so gosh. So, a lot of preschools, preschoolers started being accused of, like, not preschoolers, preschools started being <laughs> accused of, like, a child abuse. So, there's this one preschool called the McMartin Preschool. And they had, like, their their case is really famous because they had a ton of accusations. And it ended up being, like, a seven-year court case. Wow. And a lot of teachers were accused. But in the end, there was no convictions. And since then, a lot of 
the children have actually grown up and withdrawn, like, their accusations because they say they don't actually remember anything that's happened. They just kind of went along with what their parents wanted them to say. Yeah. And so, but there's still a lot of conspiracies that some shady stuff went on in the preschool. That's awful, though. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> being the daycare or the preschool provider and, like, having all these accusations yeah, against right. you? And so, these kids, um, well, not the kids, the parents said that there was tunnels under the school that were used for the child abuse. Well, couldn't they just look at the school and decide if that's true or not? Well, not with conspiracy theories. Oh, wow. So, (laughs) the piece that Mike Kelly made, it's called Educational Complex, and he made, like, a large white, like, diorama of it, and it's his childhood home and then some of his classrooms that he had, and then it's got, like, underground tunnels to kind of, like, represent the conspiracy theory that way. Oh, wait, so was he in the preschool when that... No, no, he just represented it. Yeah, he just made it to, like, represent, because that was, like, one of the more famous cases. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's one of Mike Kelly's pieces that was featured in the exhibit. And then there was also a few displays where artists used classified or leaked information to inspire them. Them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so there's a guy named Hans Hockey, and his display showed documentation of real estate transactions. So they, most of the transactions belonged to notorious real estate agents in New York City. And so they were technically public records, but not a lot of people would just, like, go digging for them. Mm-hmm. And so he used them to, like, create a piece, and that was originally supposed to be displayed in a different museum before the Met. But the director of that museum, his name is Thomas Hesser, and he canceled the exhibit and fired the curator. Oh, jeez. And Thomas said it was because Hans Hockey, the guy who brought the documents in, was smuggling a so-called alien substance into the museum. Oh my gosh. But it was later found out that this so-called alien substance was actually more, like, relative to New York than a lot of the other art display that was on, in, or in the museum, and Mm so a lot of people say, like, Thomas Messer, the director of it, just didn't want, like, the documents to be exposed out, because, like, it was supposed to hide stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... A different guy named Alfredo Jar, he displayed a collection of photographs that have Henry Kissinger in them. And so, for those of you who don't know who has Henry Kissinger is, he served under President Nixon's administration during the Watergate scandal, which is what we talk a lot about in yes. U.S. history. And so, in each photo, Henry Kissinger is circled in a bright red color, and then the rest of the photos in black and white, so it really, really makes him stand out. And then, also, Kissinger, not only was he part of the Nixon administration, but he's also... There's a lot of conspiracies that accuse him of plotting the overthrow of the Chilean democracy and supporting the dictatorship that followed. And so the photos are supposed to, like, um, like trace him back through all of this and mm-hmm. show, like, show how he's a part of it. And then a different artist named Jenny Holzer created an LED display that broadcasts memos of American actions while in Iraq. And so it's kind of set up like a staircase. And so it, there's, like, different layers of it. And then each one... Is like a strip, kind of like caution tape, like it kind of looks like caution tape, but oh. it's an LED screen, and then like the words flash across that were broadcasts of American memos, and so like some people say like some shady stuff went on there, so there's like conspiracy theories with that, mm-hmm. and then Trevor Paglin's display, he used um, telescopic photographs of what are called black sites that were held in Afghanistan, and so obviously Afghanistan can be... A little shady. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, his photographs just, like, go through and display some of that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> um, Mark Lombardi was another artist that was featured a lot 
throughout the Met during this exhibit, and he is actually considered to be the art conspiracist of contemporary American art. And his display included two panoramic flowcharts from the late 90s that he created himself, and he spent, like, multiple years on finding all the research for it. Oh, wow. And the charts linked up hundreds of financers, drug smugglers, politicians, and criminals all in one web. Oh, jeez. And so he took, like, the time to research to find ways that they could all be connected and put it into a chart. And his piece was actually on display one other time in the Whitney Museum of American Art. And while it was on display there, they got the museum got a call from an FBI agent who wanted to come and examine the piece because they thought that Mark Lombardi may have actually helped them crack a case on some shady figures behind global oh, terrorism. Wow. And so there's not a lot of information on if it actually did or not, just mm-hmm. that the FBI agent did come and look at it. And then after it was displayed at the Whitney Museum of American Art, it got displayed at the Met again. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, like, getting that yeah. phone call and being like, oh, wow. Or, like, being the artist and, like, actually maybe have been putting yeah. something together just from your own research. Think, I mean, like, the FBI hires people like that. Like, right. That can <laughs> yeah. solve those cases. Um, and then, obviously, a large portion of the museum was about JFK's assassination. Ooh. And so... It's kind of towards, like, the second half of the museum where the artists kind of created their own conspiracies, mm-hmm. less of, like, some, like, less factual stuff. And so, at the very beginning of the Kennedy section, there's two portraits by artist Wayne Gonzalez, and the one portrait is a mugshot of Lee Harvey Oswald. And so, in case you don't know, Lee Harvey Oswald is the supposed lone gunman involved in JFK's assassination. So, what do you think happened in JFK's assassination? You know, so, we talk about a lot about this in Mr. Olson's class, mm-hmm. and during it, I definitely was convinced that there was no way it could have just been him. Mm-hmm, for sure, I agree. And I was kind of leaning towards the mafia. And then, Mr. Olson came back and explained his side of why he does think it's the lone gunman, and kind of set it up for us, like, more on, like, that realistic scale. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I like think the, what the government has released about saying that it's Lee Harvey Oswald's probably pretty close to true, mm-hmm. but that they might just be like missing some information in it. Yeah, I can see that. I personally think it's the mafia just because I, yeah. I don't know, I feel like I probably just like to argue or something like uh, yeah. that, but I don't know. I think, I think all of it's crazy. I think it is all crazy too. And there's like just a lot of little pieces in it that it's like, yeah. no way that that just happened and it, right. it's not involved. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and so the one portrait is of Lee Harvey Oswald, and then the other one is of Jack Ruby, which is the mm-hmm. mafia man that was involved and actually shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. And Sorry, my computer just <laughs> scrolled way away. Sorry for the little malfunction there. We had some technical issues. So the beginning of the JFK section has those two portraits, the one of Lee Harvey Oswald and then the other one of Jack Ruby. And then slightly after that is another little, like, separate display by Rachel Harrison, and it's called Snake in the Grass. And it's kind of set up like a maze, and they have these little, like, poster boards suspended from the ceiling, and then they're weighed down by sandbags. And each one, like, has something else that's related to the JFK assassination. And so most of them are images that Rachel Harrison actually took herself in the grassy knoll in Dallas, Texas. And um, the one has, like, 
a shedded snakeskin that she found there, and another one's got, like, a Cuban cigar, and then one that I really liked, it has the same picture of a spot in the grass that she took, and she went to different publishers and had them each printed out, and so it's, like, six different ones, and each one came out, like, slightly different in color-wise, so it just kind of shows how, like, different things can get percepted differently based on where you go and, like, where you hear information Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and then... Another artist named Jim Shaw also had a thing featured in the Kennedy section. And for those of you who don't really know much about the Kennedy assassination, again, there's this film called the Zapruder film. And it's the most famous film of JFK's assassination. And they say that he had, like, the best angle. They could get the best information from that one. And so Jim Shaw actually took this film and added aliens into it. And so it shows fake alien sightings during the president's assassination, oh, and he wow. called it UFO photo Zapruder film. And so that kind of is the bigger things in the Kennedy section of the exhibit. And so that's mainly all, like, the bigger displays that a lot of people were talking about after going through the museum. There was obviously a lot more featured, but those are some of the bigger ones. And a lot of people said, though, that after they walked through it, they were so confused and, like, didn't know how to distinguish the truth from fiction and felt as though they had lost their minds. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think it would have been really interesting to be able to go walk through that one. I do too. I think that that would be really cool. I um, I was really interested in the JFK assassination Me too. when we learned about it in U.S. history. So I think I would definitely like learning a little more about that. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess I will start talking about my art. Yeah. So the first uh, stolen art scenario that I'll be talking about is when the Scream and the Madonna were stolen. So we're going to start each little scenario or segment by looking at the paintings that were stolen and kind of telling you our feelings about them. So right now we're both looking at the Scream and I personally feel like it gives me kind of creepy, like weird vibes. I would agree. Um, It's it's kind of like weird because it's got like very bright colors, but it's like... The piece itself isn't, like... Right, it's not, like, a happy-go-lucky painting. It's kind of, like, a weird... Yeah. Yeah. And then the next piece is the Madonna, which is (laughs) a little promiscuous. Um, (laughs) I I do, like... So, like, I'm gonna encourage you to go look at these paintings while we're talking about them so you can relate with us. Um, But the Madonna, I like how there is, like, an outline of the girl. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely, like, leaves a focus on the girl. Yeah, and I like how, like, they have, like, her pose set up, because that's a very, like, mm-hmm. I don't, what's the word? I, I think It's I not, like, a mean. basic pose. It's, like, dramatic. Right, and it's, it's like, an art pose, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. So, these two paintings were both stolen in 2004, and it is considered to be one of the most famous art heists in recent history. And this happened at the Norwegian Munch Museum, and I don't know, so, is, I think this guy's name is Edward monk or munch i'm not really sure how to say it but i'm gonna say edward munch um and they were stolen by two thieves um and the value of the two paintings together is actually about 19 million dollars which is a lot of money that's a nice chunk of money yeah and you could literally buy the world's most expensive car with that kind of money um which is a lot of money for a car (laughs) and coming from a high school student about to enter the world of college debt if i had something worth that i'd probably be protecting it with my whole life 
However, it has been said that the robbery happened because the security was caught slipping. Both of the pieces were simply hanging on wires on the walls of the museum, and they were apparently pretty easy to remove and just run away with, because that's what happened. Um, and it sounds like I protect my things more than that, and I don't have anything nearly that valuable, so... Thankfully, both paintings were recovered in 2006, but they had a lot of irreversible damage done, which is too bad. Do you know where they, like, found them? No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they found them either. So the next one we're going to be talking about is poppy flowers, and this is a painting of flowers in a pot, or in a vase, and um, they're yellow flowers, and then there are two um, red flowers at the very bottom. And I like this painting. I personally could see it, like, in... This sounds kind of weird to compare it to, but I could see it being in, like, a fancy restaurant's, like, bathroom or something yeah, I like could, that. Yeah, I could see that, too. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a very, like, elegant... I do like the mm -hmm. pop of red. I think that mm -hmm. adds a nice touch. <clears throat> and this painting, it... I don't know, it must be pretty worthless. It's been stolen twice, so apparently it's just not worth anybody's time a day to protect... But it was stolen once in 1978 and again in 2010, which is the time that I'm going to be talking about. It was stolen from an Egyptian Maumid Khalil Museum. And it is a Van Gogh painting. And it's, again, worth a lot of money. It's very valuable. And it is worth an estimated $55 million, which is more than both of the other paintings <laughs> combined. Um, and again, a lot of money. I think it's crazy that art can even be worth that much money. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and this still hasn't been recovered. So, uh, this art robbery also happened because of security malfunctions, which you'd think after the first time it was stolen, it'd be protected a little better. But only eight of the museum's 43 security cameras were functioning the day that the painting was stolen, which is not a wow. lot. Um, I don't, personally, if I was in charge, I'd be firing a lot of people that day. Imagine being that person that, like, stole it and knowing that they're, like, still looking for it and you just have it. Right. I, that's, like a I was $55 thinking, million dollar painting. Right. And what do you do with it? You can't sell it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get caught. Right. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, so, the next one I'm going to be talking about is not actually a painting or, like, typical art that people would consider to be art. Um, it's a collection of artifacts. And this one's actually considered the biggest art theft in history. So this happened in 1990 in Boston at the Stuart Gardner Museum, and it's considered the biggest because of the value of the items stolen, how much was stolen, and it was pretty impressive how they did it. So the estimated value of all the pieces taken is $500 million, which again is absolutely crazy. I wish I had that much money. Um, and it includes a variety of artifacts. Um, they go all the way back to the Shang Dynasty, Manet, Rembrandt, and Diga's eras, which is just insane. Um, personally, if I was going to steal art, I probably wouldn't steal a bunch of old pottery. I would probably steal some pretty painting or something fun that I could, I don't know, show off. <laughs> I guess if I was a thief, I wouldn't want to show it off, but you know. Um, and the oldest item taken is more than 3,000 years old. And just to compare that, 3,000 years old, the world was basically nowhere compared to now because the first forms of pottery were just being created. There wasn't even furniture or anything like that. Uh, the sad part is none of the pieces were ever recovered or still haven't been recovered. They might be in the future. While I was researching this heist, I thought one of the most impressive things wasn't really how much they took or how much it was worth, even though that is pretty impressive. But I thought that the most impressive part was how the thieves got away. 
All that they had to do to make art history for the rest of their lives was simply put on disguises of the cleaning crew or the, like, museum staff and rang the bell to the back door of the museum when the museum was closing. Um, and they finished the robbery in about an hour and a half, and they escaped without any violence or interruptions or anything interrupting their path. And they walked away with hundreds of millions of dollars of art. Um, and what I thought was kind of cool is that the paintings, like the, or sorry, the frames of each painting are still hung up in that museum as a memory and sort of a shrine or a hope that they might come back eventually. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was a good tribute. All right, so the last um, painting or art that has been stolen that I'm going to be talking about is the Mona Lisa, which you've probably heard of. Um, I mean, there's not really much of a need to, like, depict this painting to you. I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> I've never really, like, taken the time to actually, like, look at the details of it, though. I always just see it and it's like, oh, the Mona Lisa. Oh, yeah, the Mona Lisa. I know. I know what that is. Um, I do think a cool fact about the Mona Lisa, I'm pretty sure it was never finished, right? I don't oh, know. I, guess I think I read sure. that somewhere when I was looking at this, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's a painting of a girl, um, <laughs> she's sitting there, there's a pretty background, um, and it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, and I believe that this painting is probably the most, um, if not definitely one of the most paintings ever, and I really can't believe that it would be stolen, because I would think, oh, the Mona Lisa, that's a super huge like big deal that mm -hmm. can't ever really be taken i mean what do you do with it even um however in 1911 vincenzo perugia worked at the louvre louvre i don't know in paris a museum in paris and it held the famous mona lisa this piece was actually pretty well guarded and it was well protected but it still got taken so obviously not protected enough um, the thief didn't steal this painting to hang up in his house or sell for lots of money, which is what I would assume other thieves do. I actually thought this was kind of a cool story. He strongly believed that the Mona Lisa should be returned to its rightful owner in Italy. Um, not its rightful owner, but just its place of origin in Italy, because Van Gogh was Italian, or Da Vinci was Italian. Um, but he was later caught trying to sell the painting to an Italian who ended up calling the police on him. The painting was returned to the museum where it was, where it originally was, and it has been there ever since. Now, kudos to the guy that called the police, because yeah, no that takes, that's a big risk. Yeah. I don't know, I feel like, not saying that I'm going to be like an art thief or anything, but <laughs> like if I almost had my hands on the Mona Lisa. Oh yeah, for sure. I'd take it. And I thought that was kind of a cool motive to yeah. take a painting, to I agree. return it back, but it's not really his choice, so... <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that he like tried to steal it to take it back but then still just like sold it right like, yeah he stole it to sell it you think that he could just like leave it there or, yeah like, i don't know or, like maybe he could have like donated it to like an italian museum or something yeah he didn't really steal it to give it back he yeah stole it and sold it so yeah those were a couple different art um heists and thefts over the years um personally i I probably think the most impressive or, like, cool one to learn about was the artifacts one. Mm -hmm. Just because, I mean, just the way that they got in, they just, I mean, they put on disguises and just kind of walked around yeah. and did whatever they wanted. It's, like, crazy because art can actually be worth so much. And, like, there's yeah. definitely things that are protected a lot better that are, like, not worth I agree. as much. And I think, like, I mean, so many people try to, like, rob banks. And there's probably a lot more art, like, robbery attempts yeah. than we know about. Definitely. Um... 
but you'd think, oh, I want a lot of money, I'm gonna go steal mm-hmm. the Mona Lisa, not right. I'm gonna go rob a bank. Yeah. I'm sure it's a lot harder, though, to, like, That's... like, if you get your hands on the painting, it's harder to sell it, because you have to, like, find somewhere to sell it where you're not gonna get, like, the police called on you after Yeah, trying. exactly. I think you definitely have to know the right people, or, like, be able to feel out yeah. who haunts it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to our pot to the boring art show. That's podcast, not actually boring for sure. Um, today, um, I enjoyed telling my stolen art stories, and I enjoyed listening to Lauren's art conspiracy theories. Um, we hadn't heard each other's stories before today, so it was a good conversation mm-hmm. to have. Definitely. Um. We hope to have you guys tune in next time on The Boring Show. That's not actually boring.